Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen The Banshees of Inner Sharing. Yes. Uh, that's my non-Irish pronunciation. It's very <laughs> fluid and lyrical and beautiful in the film. I can't do that. Yes. Banshees of Inner Sharing. It's um, the latest film written and directed by Martin McDonough, yes. who um, was a playwright and then kind of shot to fame as a filmmaker with uh, In Bruges mm. in 2008, which is very fondly remembered. Yes, I love it. That, And then you also did... Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yes. Um, which we did twice on the podcast. Yes, I, I had real misgivings about that. And in the middle, he did um, Seven Psychopaths. Which I didn't really like. I wasn't that interested in. Yeah. <laughs> but in Bruges, very fondly remembered. Um, and it was, it was really funny and kind of oddball and interesting. And it starred Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell mm. as these two hitmen um, kind of going through sort of individual problems that interacted. Um, they're reunited here as a kind of unexpectedly and very suddenly warring couple of friends. There'll be spoilers coming up from right at the start, just so you know. It's set on a fictional island off Ireland um, called Inisherin, and it's got a kind of craggy isle feeling if you ever saw Father Ted. Um, it's a kind of it's incredibly local, small. There's a very small cast. Everyone knows each other, all that kind of thing. It's also set in 1923, so any of the modern technology that might have got there mm. by these days certainly wasn't there at the time. Even though at the start, when it hadn't been established that it was set in the past, I kind of thought, is it set in the modern day? And they just don't have any technology mm. still. And the Father Ted thing even slightly comes into the relationship between the two main characters because one of them is the kind of Father Dougal, sort of not that bright younger one, which is Colin Farrell. And the other one is the kind of irascible older one, which is um, Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson decides one day, right at the start of the film, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. They go to the pub every day, Colin Farrell comes to see him, take him to the pub, no, it's not happening. And we're left wondering why, what's going on. And the film develops this... Very interesting kind of breaking male friendship. So you mm. said this is the reason you were really interested to see this. Yes, I'm very interested in male friendships. And, you know, I do think that they're um, underrepresented in cinema. The people will disagree with me because, of course, there's all these buddy films. Mm. You know, but I think the exploration of male friendship as a kind of love, yeah, the kind of two men can love each other and it not be sexual, which I think this film, you know, finds various ways of telling you that you know it's not <laughs> right i always find that kind of very interesting because it is true that you know these men have clearly loved each other at some point you get the feeling that actually they continue to do so right it's just that um calm the brendan gleason character has had this you know consciousness of the fact that he's got very little time and you know that he's wasting all this time with this guy who he finds actually dull and he's going to put his time to better use by writing his music that's all right but the um withdrawal of love <laughs> has such an impact on the colin farrell character yeah that he, he disbelieves it so actually i think the whole first half of the film is him trying to understand why he's yeah. not loved anymore and actually, I thought that this really resonates because this this almost like resonates, you know, across gender. You often find when people are dumped, 
yeah, mm. be it in friendship or in love, that there is like this real bewilderment. It's almost people can't imagine it of themselves, you know, like, you know, what have I done? And then you realize, well, I haven't done anything. And, you know, so somebody has just stopped loving you and people have real trouble grasping that, yeah, that it, it is so unimaginable. You always feel that, you know, you have to have done something that, you know, I mean, were you drunk, that you say something you don't remember, that you do something horrible that you didn't think was horrible. No, it's mm-hmm. just somebody stopped loving you, that's all, right? But it all, feels... all the questions that Colin Farrell asks in this film, yes. what what have I done, what is it? And the answer is nothing. It, I, I mean, actually, the, one of the interesting parts early on for me was when Brendan Gleeson's character says, I've changed. Yes. That was so interesting. Like, normally that's not, people don't see that about themselves. They see the other person's a dick all of a sudden. They seem to think, no one, no one actually thinks I might be the reason for something. I think people do. I mean, I think, you know, the interesting thing about is that, you know, the whole film is about relationships. And of course, it is between men. But I think they can be extrapolated to almost any kind of relationships. I think this is the film's worth, yeah? Mm. Uh, or its value to me. Um, that it's illuminating on, on that. You know, because of course people change and people will often say this, my marriage broke up because we went in different directions or or because I changed or mm. because they changed, right? Like, yeah, kind of, I think those are questions that are actually often explored, you know, in um, intimate, socially prescribed relationships. They're almost never explored, I think, in terms of relationships, you know, friendships between men. Mm. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, the film does it beautifully and I found it so moving. You know, because it almost like uh, um, a Colin Farrell is so great because he's playing someone who's not very bright and who's aware that he's not very bright. Yeah, but who's very kind. And he just can't wrap his head around this change, right? Mm. And, you know, he thinks there's something with him or that he's got to do something different, you know. And even when uh, Brendan Gleeson loses a finger, the message doesn't come across. Even when he loses the five fingers, you get the feeling that he's still... Can't, can't get, it hasn't sunk in, mm. you know, that actually this guy just doesn't want to spend the time with him and it has nothing to do with him. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. One of the things that the film is talking about very consciously, I think, is depression. Mm. It's kind of brought up almost as a joke between Colin Farrell's character, uh, Patrick, and and his sister. I mean, they're not sharing a joke, but it's brought up in a jokey way in the film's terms, they, you know, they say, oh, yeah, I think he might be depressed. And it's kind of, it's comic that they would be kind of diagnosing him sort of, sort of in the background sort of thing. But a couple of scenes where Colm goes to confessional, both times um, the priest asks him, how's the despair? So it's, A, it's not new. It's been going mm. on for a while. And that's a real question. That's something you only share in confessional, mm. right? And it's and so it's the film is taking it seriously, even if the characters don't really know what they're talking about. Mm. You know, um, like it's something that Con really feels, and it really I think makes sense of why you would do something as insane as cut your finger off, an important finger, to make a point. I mean, he's it's... searching for something more, and it but it, and and he he has this thing about as he said, we have very little time. I have very little time left, and. I want to leave something behind. You know, everyone in there's only the only one person that we see on this whole island has a child, and it's the police officer who beats his child every day and who you know, fiddles with him. Yeah, so 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 like know, this, this he fiddles with him, and then he beats him up out of his own guilt for having done. This is a very small, grey, lonely, isolated island where no one, almost no one, is leaving anything, and he really feels that. 
but I think it, it, it has to be combined with with this depression to 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 make it kind of active to mm. spur him. I mean, it's a funny thing. Depression normally is something that um, that keeps you indoors and stops you from doing things. So you have to fight in that sense. And I think here it's being shown in a way that I don't think is necessarily unrealistic, though people have more experience of it may disagree with that, as something that's spurring him to change, something that's actually causing him to fight. His personality reacts to it differently. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, I think the film mentions it as depression. Obviously, it was known by other names before, you know, like melancholia, um, terms like that. And I, I don't think it has anything to do with being indoors or being outdoors. I mean, kind of, you know, um, suicides are quite common in small agricultural villages where people live their whole lives outdoors. So, um, I, you know, I think that's a modern perception of, you know, looking yeah. at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the whole small town thing very much. You know, the enclosedness, the gossip, the lack of things to do. Also, the familiarity. Um, I, I thought one of the film's failings was that it didn't give you enough texture, right? So, you know, I mean, Brendan Gleeson is 70 in the film, you know, and the Colin Farrell character must be 50, right? Why did they never marry? What were their, you know, mm-hmm. their families? Did they, did they have, like, failed love affairs? Did they have children elsewhere? Of course, they could just be, like, not married for many reasons. But I thought a film that was more textured visually would have giving you that information visually without necessarily having to speak it. Whereas I think here in this film, all the information that you're getting is largely through the dialogue. Of course, the landscape is very beautiful and it creates its own mood and so on, you know, and it's not kind of unaware of like, you know, filmmaking. There's that, you know, moments where you, where the camera moves or, you know, where you go into close-ups and so on. So I'm not, you know, I'm not denying there's a level of competence there. But, you know, I do think that a better film director would have textured in audiovisually this background to these characters that is not quite there. Yeah, I tend to agree. I I think the the one bit of sort of set design at least that, that does anything um kind of informative in that respect is that in Colm's house it's uh, his house is decorated with art or you know, masks, these kind of things like, but mm. cultural artifacts and things mm. like that, basically showing what we already have got out of dialogue, which is that he's an artistic person. Mm. That, also, that's not really adding much. There is that puppet that seems to be hanging from a noose. Oh and, yeah. Um, so, but I thought that was just like underlining. It, it, it was. Was it a, a, a horse? Thing, was it? There was something because that might be a foreshadowing. No, there was there was something. There was a, maybe a mask or something, and then hanging from it was right. a person, like a puppet. Or, was it? Yeah. Because I remember Colin Farrell playing when he goes to his house at the start. He, he just plays a little bit with what I thought was a, a horse puppet hanging. Oh yeah, that was that that was something else. I'm thinking. Right. I think it was like a puppet with a beak, maybe. Okay. You know, like um, from the plague times. From the plague, something like that. Yeah. Um, I could be misremembering, but I thought it was something like that. Mm. Um, you know, and I didn't get the character of the witch at all, or the you know, not the witch, but you know, what I mean, the, <laughs> the old lady, the old lady who's yeah. a seer, and you know, 
who everybody dislikes and keeps away from because they're attributing powers of sight to her. Yeah, I wonder whether there's um, some cultural context that we're missing with mm. her. That because I felt the same thing. I, I kind of she's 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 a bit of an, an oddball kind of, which is not to say she's she's out of place exactly. Like she does kind of make sense, but there was something that felt like it needed a little more explanation about her or context. Yes. Um, She's, yeah, hanging around portending doom mm. in all sorts of specific ways. Yes. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> I didn't quite know what to make of it, although I did like the interplay between the characters and her. Mm. Um, you know, and she's kind of quite aware of, of things she's saying coming across as mean. Mm. Um, and she seems to kind of relish in it, too. Mm. Like, I mean, she says at one point... Um, she said, "I think he says that's just mean or something." And she says, "No, I just want to be accurate." But like, she says it in this way that's like, "Yeah, I kind of like being mean too." Mm. Kind of like that. The the film's comic tone is interesting because Martin McDonough has a reputation for for the comedy in his films. I I would say this of the four that I've seen, which, well, actually all his four films, I would say this is the most straightforwardly dramatic. Yeah. But there is lots of comedy in it. But it's like yes. it's it's the most. The thing about things like in Bruges in particular is that. The comic moments, scenes would be built for the comic moment, mm. and they would be dramatic too, perhaps, but they mm. would be built for the laugh. Here, the laugh just punctuates something. It's, yes. it's a line, and it, but it doesn't like deflate it mm. in the way that it would in the other film. Like you got to the point of the scene, which was the laugh. Here, the laugh is just in the middle of the scene. Mm. The scene continues to be dramatic. Do you see mm. what I mean? Yes. Uh, one of the things that I missed, and I think it's because my eye, my ear, for you know. Irish pronunciation is not all it could be. I think, you know, I understood, like, almost all of it. But actually, an important bit that I missed was one of the last lines, yeah? When they're on the beach and they're having that exchange and, Mm -hmm. you know, so I have no sense of what the film's ending is except, yeah, they're each moving in a different direction, but I didn't catch the dialogue. Uh, Well, the dialogue right at the end, if that's what you missed, was Mm. um, Brendan Gleeson saying, thanks for looking after my dog. Yes, um, and I he says any time. Yes, and I think. Well, I think those were the last lines. But that before that, though. Right. I mean, I was thinking: is there a reconciliation here? Are they going to keep attacking each other? It was funny. There was a kind of attempt one. It is an interesting ending because because Colin Farrell's character has kind of been turned nasty. Yes, and he's you know burnt down the house and so on and and thinks you know or at least knowingly has burnt down the house with uh, Brendan Gleeson's character inside, not knowing that they he would later leave the house and live. Um, so he's been turned seriously nasty. And it's interesting, that, you know, like the thing about cutting off the fingers, if you speak to me, if you bother me, I'm going to cut off fingers. He turns that ultimatum round. Mm. He becomes that character, right? He's saying, okay, tomorrow at two o'clock I'm burning down your house no matter what. He gets to, to mm. set the ultimatum now. Um, and then I, right on the on the beach there, there is an attempt from... Con, the Brendan Gleeson character, at reconciliation, I think, he says, he said, uh, because the Civil War's going on, it's 1923, the Civil Mm. War's going on, they can hear the guns, the guns have stopped, Mm. and he mentions it, and it's it's an attempt at small talk, Mm. the the thing he said the whole film through is, I'm sick and tired of your small talk, you Mm. spent two hours telling me about your horse's shit the other Mm. day, he said, I'm sick of it, I've got to do something better with my life, now he's saying, oh, let's chat about Mm. the thing, and Colin Farrell turns it down. He says, I can't remember what he says, but it's it's long lines of, I don't care, I'm not interested, whatever it was. Yes. He makes it clear that he's not playing. So, it's like it's like he realises, Brendan Gleeson, he's met his match, or he feels like, like whatever kind of 
masculine explosion has happened. Because even though the film is quite dour and subdued, you've still had five fingers cut off and a house burned down. It's kind mm. of there's violence in this. Sure. And like after this, it's like he's it's like he's thinking, it's done now, right? We can maybe we can maybe I've discovered something about my former friend. Maybe mm. I can make him my friend again. And it's like I say, sort of turned down, and he leaves. But then there is this final thing of you looked after my dog, and mm. any time, and he can't help but say any time, almost. It's mm. like you know, like it's a it's a reflex. Yes. Um. So that's so that's where the film kind of hangs, right? The possibility yeah, so, of reconciliation. I yes. Think. So, so the possibility of reconciliation is shut down. Well, it, it is, but then I think that final line, any time, looking after the dog, just reopens it slightly. Like maybe, maybe but there's room. But they're walking in opposite directions. They are. Um, they are. It's certainly not. It's not for definite that they'll that they'll reconcile. But they could. I think it's just giving you a one percent, just something to hang your hopes on. Except then, there's also. The death of the young man. Yeah, the um, Barry Keegan character. Yes. The son um, of the police officer. Who, you know, we're kind of told is the only person in the whole island dimmer than the Colin Farrell <laughs> character. Yeah. Right, and who's very sweet. And in, in many ways also very intelligent. Yeah, like, he's emotionally intelligent. He's very aware of what's happening. Mm. Right. Um, and that kind of is on the edge of the narrative as well, right? So uh, is it because he feels unloved? Yeah, his father's fiddling with him and beating him up. You know, he declares himself to the sister. And of course, you know, she kind of laughs at him in a sweet way, but she's laughing at him. Right? I, thought, I, I mean, I like that. I thought it was a nervous laugh. Like, I didn't think she was laughing at him, but she is letting him down. Yeah, yeah. She has to. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, no, I get that. It's a wonderful scene. Yeah. But you wonder if the if the suicide is a result of all, of, and then he on top mm. of that he discovers that Patrick isn't as nice as he thought. As he thought that he's become, yeah, you know, a not nice person. So and it's the thing that he really liked about him. Yes, right. Mm. And actually, if you see the whole film about that, maybe kind of there's something here about masculinity and you know, kind of because the whole narrative is not just about the dissolution of this friendship. The dissolution of the friendship happens at the beginning. It's about what that dissolution, the effect that that dissolution has on the Colin Farrell character, mm. which is to make him a not nice person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like he has to be convinced to be a not nice person because he tries his best. Yes. And it's a natural response to him to be nice. Yes. And, and to try and reconcile and to try and see the best... Yeah, you know, I mean, at first he thinks it's an April Fool's joke. Yes, you know, um, and it takes him a long time. It takes him five fingers to, to, to realize. <laughs> well, no, it, it takes him the death of his own donkey. It takes, yes, yeah. it takes, you know, uh, uh, him losing something he loves. Yes, to actually get get it. Yeah, yeah. So because the you know even the five fingers aren't enough. He's always looking. You know, this can't. Yeah, it can't be. Right, and it's only when his, you know, the donkey that he loves more than anybody yeah. in the world dies, <laughs> as a result yeah. of you an know, accidental result. Yeah, well, I think that came shortly afterwards, but yeah, it is definitely that. Like, I mean, the five fingers are thrown at his door, and I, and he, I don't think he sees um, uh, Brendan Gleeson between that and seeing his donkey. I don't remember. It seemed quite short, but it's definitely the donkey dying that that changes him. Yes, you know. 
I mean, he definitely is aware that uh, the Brendan Gleeson character has chopped off the rest of his fingers before the donkey dies. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that, they passed actually... him on the road, didn't they? Yeah. Brendan Gleeson's walking away and they're walking up. That's right. And then, yeah. Yeah. So you have a sense of registering the effect of that on him. Yes, yeah. And it's not until his donkey dies that, yeah. That was a good bit change. of filmmaking, actually. Yeah. No, to, to, yeah, mentioning that, kind of the camera work. Because we see Brendan Gleeson go to the house and throw the fingers one at a time. It's horrible. It's fish. You were wincing every mm. time the fingers came up, mm. um, and and then we see him walk away, and then there's a uh, like a drone shot of the path leading up to that house, mm. and we see Brendan Gleeson on the one end of it walking down, and we see uh, Patrick and his sister walking up, mm. and just this snatch of a shot tells you, like it, at least it worked for me. There's going to be a confrontation. So like, what's going to happen when these two cross paths sure. in five seconds time? That's I thought that was a really smart. Bit of yeah, I mean, I don't want to put the film down in that respect because I said, you know, there were things that really worked visually for me. You know, the whole look of the island, the way that it was lit. Mm. Um, you know, the the interiors with only outside light coming in and these very tiny windows. So it creates like the sense of, you know people who have to live indoors because of the weather, but actually where indoor living is very uncomfortable. Mm. I kind of, I liked, I liked all of that. Um, but it's a bit thin. But it's a bit thin. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think that's ever been Martin McDonough's strongest series, no, visually. No, no, no it isn't. And I actually, I think I was very moved by the film. I really love it. Actually. Yeah? Yeah, I do. I, mean, I, I must say that I did find myself getting bored at points and thinking this, this is a slow... It's, just, it's, just, it's quite slow, and it's kind of a slow burner. Um, and I do understand why. But I was slightly tuning out here and there. But whenever I did, there would normally be a funny line of dialogue that would perk me back up. So it worked yeah. eventually. But I kind of, I did kind of think, like, wouldn't this make a better short subject? No, I yeah. didn't feel that. I was really involved, you know, all, uh, through, it, through it all, actually. And I was very much involved uh, emotionally. The laughs were... Uh, a kind of a bonus, really. I was completely fascinated by Colin Farrell's face. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult to play nice and it's very difficult to play dumb. Right? I mean, I remember John Huston discussing um, what's the film? Something's on. Pritzi's Honor. Uh, and the casting of Jack Nicholson. And, you know, Jack Nicholson had to convince him that he could play dumb. Yeah. Mm. He could play someone not intelligent because... You know, kind of, it's very difficult to do, particularly for intelligent actors, right? And I thought uh, Colin Farrell was just like wonderful, like, you know, I don't know how many different looks of surprise and, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, how not getting something is so interesting. Like, you know, you see his face and you register almost all his expressions, like what he's thinking, you know, and how he's trying to make sense of this information that he doesn't quite get, you know, and then he'll end up with a question and the way that he, asks it with a tilt it's almost like yeah kind of yeah, I can't believe it's happening I thought he was riveting really riveting in a really like tremendously difficult part because it's hard to make dim and nice attractive <laughs> right yeah. yeah or exciting or he's actually you know, heartbreaking right from the start he's wonderful you know, he's so hurt and he's so transparent about it. You yes. feel it. He's so moving. And, you know, the film is kind of a difficult film because it begins on a note of loss, right? And then the whole film is about this very nice, very dim person 
losing more and more and more mm. as he's tra transformed from a really lovely guy to a not so lovely one, right? Like, you know, someone who begins to do mean things. So, yeah, that's the narrative arc. Of the, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of quite a difficult thing to pull off. And I think, you know, I, 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 I loved it. Yeah. It's also a film, if you see it more from the Kong character side, it's also a film about fear of being forgotten, ambition, things like this, True. pride, actually. I mean, mm. and at one point... Or his sins that he talks about. Yeah, yeah. It's, in, in one of those confessionals, um, he, he mentions he's, he's done a bit of pride, but I've never seen that as a sin, he says. Yes, um, and yet it is one of the seven deadly ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something that he definitely has, and that kind of informs a lot of his character in this film. And it's like... It's, it's like kind of overnight he's let prize hmm. take him over you know and and he has that, that confrontation in the pub where he talks about everyone here is going to be forgotten I want to do something that won't be forgotten there's pride in that there's also the thing about uh, Siobhan the sister hmm. uh, having applied for this job um, at a library on the mainland hmm. as we learn from the fact she's got a job offer and she takes it so you know she has her ambition to be honest. she's not kind of masculine and proud about it. In fact, she keeps it fairly quiet, you know, until time is to leave. Um, I mean, I, I get a sense from her, it's, it's a question of um, not wanting to hurt her brother um, because he loves her and yes. they live together and, you know, it's all that. Yes, and they're all the other has, really. Um, um, but she, she, you know, it, it, there's a similarity there. She has her ambition. She obviously handles it very differently. Um, and, you know, I suppose... I suppose more healthily, <laughs> but also you get the sense that the place is a very beautiful place, but actually it's also oppressive to the spirit. Yeah, yeah. or it only permits a very particular type of narrow life. Yeah, yeah, you know. So you know, for her, getting out is essential to you know being free or you know, having options. Uh, and actually, you do also get a sense that that is that it's the place and the isolation. And the smallness of the town and the smallness of the mentalities, you know, and the education and so on, that are actually what are also grinding down these two people. Yeah, well, it's about the satisfaction of living there. And, and most people on this island are satisfied with it. Colin Farrell drinks every day in the pub at two o'clock, chats shit all night, goes home next day, does the same thing in between. He's milking his cows and you know, looking after his donkey and all that. And it's a, it's a, a satisfied life of no ambition and it is the island that kind of keeps it I, I was interested in the student characters the music students who come and play with Brendan Gleeson because mm. um, I just kind of thought where have they come from they, they can't be from the island they must have travelled there it, it didn't make sense to me that they well, were from they the obviously travel from the mainland because yeah. you see that the mainland is just across the bay yeah so the explosions are happening so yeah um, so like they, they're these kind of and the mainland to Siobhan represents future ambition improvement sure. so well, it's a war ending and things happening so she goes there and Brendan Gleeson brings them to him and they're both kind of expressing their ambition through 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 contact with the mainland maybe but you know you think well you know what has Brendan like the thing is you have no sense of what Brendan Gleeson's life has been like mm. you know and I think that is a problem with the narrative you know I, I think also but to a lesser extent, Colin Farrell's, because 
you need to know more about the background of that person or the, the history of that person to know why he's now so dissatisfied and has this burning ambition to create art. Also, you don't understand why, you know, he can't create art and be nicer <laughs> to, you know, uh, Pot- Potrick. Or, mm. Yeah. I mean, so I think kind of, you know, I suppose it's one of those things that the more you think about it, kind of the less satisfying it becomes, actually. The thing about cutting off your fingers if he speaks to you again, I, yeah, it feels like a conceit, like a literary conceit. Yeah. You know, it, uh, I don't quite get why someone would harm their own life so much just to not speak to someone they've clearly spent the last 30 years speaking to, right? So what drove him to that point? It can't, it's, it can't be answered only by, I want to write music now. Well, that's why, <laughs> that's why I said earlier on, I said that the depression... The idea that he is genuinely depressed in the way that he could like diagnose that that makes sense of that to me because up till then it is a conceit and actually we saw in the trailer you know he, they, they bring up this five fingers thing and I was thinking is that going to be is that going to be a joke or is it the actual thrust of the film mm. it turns out it's a large part of the thrust of the film it's really important to the film but I do think that that the, the film invoking you know depression and as as it's put more seriously despair does make sense that to me. It, I think it, it gives you a way to think of Colm's mental state. To me, it doesn't. In a way, what it did to me. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I think for me, you know, depression... Depression leads to suicide. It can definitely lead to cutting off No, no, but that's different. Suicide is ending all pain. You know, kind of cutting off your finger is for 30 years more of pain or, you know, until you die. And then cutting off the others is even more pain and even more obstacles... You know, how are you going to tie your shoelaces? So, you know, I, I, I think to me it's not justified by depression, you know, because actually depression often manifests itself as a lack of energy to do anything, you know. So, uh, uh, you know, suicide, yes, that kind of action I, I don't get. Okay. Um, it makes it make more sense to me. But I do agree there's still an element of conceit here that it's it's the film where the guy cuts his fingers off to spite his friend. Yeah. You know, like definitely, there's definitely that to it. Yes. Um, now, you know, I kind of... I, I went along with it. It's not something that prevented or blocked my involvement in the film. But, you know, just thinking aloud, there are all... Yeah, there are all of these things that end up being unsatisfying as you think about it. Yeah. Um, like, thinking about it, it kind of constitutes a work of myth. You know, so like the the fingers thing is a conceit, definitely. But it's a kind of thing in like the classics. You know, some character would have cut off his fingers to spite his old friend. You know, what I mean, it's that kind of thing. Like it has that you know, like Orpheus going into the underworld. Like we're not, maybe we're not meant to really believe this happened. Did the Greeks ever believe that really happened? But if the story lasts, you know, it it does feel mythic, right? In the sense that it's the kind of thing you expect of a medieval thing. You know, if you don't do this, we'll cut one of your fingers and kill your daughter or something, right? Like, mm. you know, so, yeah. But the thing is that I think even in myth, you associate it as, a, as an external punishment, not as internal one. It's not out of spite. If you talk to me, I will cut off my finger. Though maybe, I mean, there are things like that, yeah? I suppose, I forget what it is, but there is one where they say... You know, if you do this, I will cut off my own eyes or something, or I will kill my children. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Actually, Greek myth has that. Yeah, well, um, uh, yeah, what's-his-face 
plucked his own eyes out because he Oedipus. saved his mother. Oedipus, yeah, because he uh-huh. saved his mother. Like that's it does. I, I think it, I, I suppose it's funny to think of it in that way, just because you always think of myths as thousands of years old and yes. not having been written yesterday. Yes, you know? of course, a lot of myths have been kind of written yesterday. You know, Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Right, which which does function as myth. Uh, so I think that's a very interesting thing. The, the, I think my problem is one of uh, interpretation in the sense that I don't, you know, so you, you think that uh, it's alluding to something, mm. yeah, but I kind of, I don't quite get the reference, yeah. I think that it's also true of, you know, the old lady. She's obviously fulfilling some kind of function as in kind of Greek tragedy or you yeah. know something like that, yeah. but I just don't get what that is. I don't have the frame of reference really. Yeah, but you get a sense that she's meaning more than just a mad old lady who, yeah, yeah threatens sure. you know. Yeah. Um, but I think in, in in a sense of um of the of the the finger thing meaning more. I I, I mean it, it's like it's the thing that the film is setting up to hang this exploration of male friendship and and pride and anger and all the rest of it on. Mm. You know, it's like it's the thing that activates all that, get, lets it be discussed. Mm. Yeah, so you're it. saying it as a structural thing. I think it can be both. I think it can be something that's both structural and allegorical, yeah. you know. Um, but obviously, like, what it al- allegorizes exactly escapes me, mm. you know. Um, but, you know, you just have a suspicion that it does. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, and it doesn't impede the enjoyment of the film. No, no. You know, because I think, like, that old lady, if she means something else, even better. Yeah, or if she can be read as something else, makes the film richer or whatever. But actually, if she just functions as this mad old lady who is, like, a village uh, uh, reference, who's an outsider and, you know, who's slightly vilified and also slightly threatening, that is a kind of a stereotype as well. You know, it's mm. a, a character in fiction. You know, and it works very well within those parameters, yeah. you know, on a surface level. So I didn't have any problem with that. Uh, though, you know, I'd be curious to read somebody who's better versed in, you know, classic tragedy. Yeah. Uh, if they see something in the film that I don't. I mean, I... Yes, so there'll be, be people who've got something very specific out of those sorts of things that we haven't. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, this kind of... Um, not restores my faith in uh, uh, the director, but I'm glad to like him again, mm. right? Because I think there was there was something about Three Billboards, which people are still insisting is this great work, which I thought, you know, the whole racial elements and so on were really quite uh, culturally insensitive and dodgy. Well, culturally, kind of unknowing as well. Like, unknowing, I mean, exactly. The, the thing is that you know, you definitely also thought the film had greatness in it, and you found some of it kind of Shakespearean. Yeah. So it's not kind of discount it or give the kind of wrong impression. No, no of course. But that yeah. element definitely had this feeling of you don't know the place you're making a film about. Here, you definitely seem to. Martin McDonald's up, up, he, he to was, a, up to a point. Yeah, actually, you know, because he is someone who grew up in London. Yeah. yeah. So I do think that also there's a sense in which his understanding. A small town Irish life, you know, is also an outsider's one. Yeah, I kind of think so too, and that's why um, I think actually, you know, it may have seemed kind of reductive the the, um, the Father Ted sort of similarities I was drawing, but I think they're kind of there. And the thing is, Father Ted is 
although I've made you know by full on as it were quote unquote Irish people um, with an understanding of what that place is like. It's a sitcom, and it's also kind of reductive in a sense for um, British audiences sure. who don't know fuck all about Ireland. Um, I mean, now, Martin McDonough. I mean, I mean, I don't want to speak too much about how much Martin McDonough, like he, you know, grew up in London, as you say, but his parents are Irish, and what his kind of background is. I think he was from. he was born and grew up in London. He's a Londoner. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think his parents then retired back to Ireland, to a small town. Right. Yeah. So I'm not saying he doesn't have a clue about it. I'm just saying he's got an outsider's look on it. It still kind of feels. And it feels yeah. that way. It really does. Yeah. yeah like. Uh, I mean, you but know. it feels like he knows more about that than he does about Missouri. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, Last thing is uh, that I've seen loads of people talking about the donkey and they're saying the donkey steals every scene he's in. I don't think so. No, the donkey's just a donkey. Actually, Barry Keegan steals every scene he's in. He's mm. wonderful. I yeah, think. I think I mean, he's wonderful. He's He's. It's funny. I was criticising an actor in Smile the other day for having kind of too much going on facially, like too many ticks and things. Actually, Barry Keegan is doing a lot of that here, but it really works for me. I, I think it. It seems to come from somewhere very embodied within his character that he's. he's he, there's something nervous and active about him, and he's also young as well. He's younger than everyone else we see, and there's something about that that is kind of you know there's there's a kind of um, idiot vitality that's expressed through through the way he behaves. But yes. I think he's really wonderful, and as you were saying, kind of very open and all of that. Mm. And that scene between him and him and Siobhan on the you know, that might be one of my favourite scenes in the film. It's really wonderful. beautifully played. It is, and so kind of incidental to everything else. Yes. Obviously, not to his story, but I think all the actors are wonderful, actually, and they're beautifully cast. I love the look of the a um, uh, 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 priest, you know, because there's something <laughs> seedy and mean and slightly unsalubrious about his look like yeah it's kind of like wonderful casting yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it makes sense when he leads the confessional having an argument yeah you know, like in front of everyone it's lovely yeah <laughs> anyway i actually highly recommend it I, I had a lovely time watching it i think it's a serious film about a serious issue you know very stylishly kind of evoked in a way that it just imbues everything with sadness, a very melancholy kind of film. Um, yeah, but kind of very human and, and with quite a bit of humor. So I highly recommend. Mm, good. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>